okay, I will not be finished in 15 minutes. Uh, and, I, and I'm serious. If you need to get up and go, get up and go. If you want to go now, you can, because this has been pretty good, and uh, I think you'd be all right. Uh, but uh, what we're going to talk about is difficult. It's very difficult. I approach this with a, I mean, I've been thinking on it for a, a couple of weeks, and this is, uh, this is pretty tough scripture. And uh, the killer about this is, and this is what it, why it bothers me so bad, is that if, if you do not see this going on all around you, you need to pray hard about your salvation. Now, I know that's a pretty tough statement, but you need to. I, I, this, uh, we talk about a lot of things that are, theoretical is the wrong word, but they're, they're, they're concepts that you talk about. And uh, this is as concrete as it will ever get. I mean, it is written plainly, and if you watch the news, you can see exactly what God is talking about here. You can't miss it. So I pray as we go through this that, that God will, that the Holy Spirit will fill the atmosphere, will touch our spirits, will help us to see what he's saying in the scripture and that we can understand so that we're ready to get to chapter 2 next week. We're going to be in Romans 1, verses 21 through 32. It's Romans 1, 21 through 32. While you're looking it up, eternal life does not wait on heaven and God's wrath does not wait on hell. Remember I said that last week, that eternal life does not wait on heaven and God's wrath does not wait on hell. We said that because the scripture says, says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now that phrase, that, that, the verb there is, is revealed from heaven. Not that it will be revealed, not that it will come on the last day, but that the wrath of God is revealed. It's a present tense thing. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So Romans 1, beginning with verse uh, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since, God, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We're going to answer three questions today. First, 
What did the ungodly and the unrighteous do to earn God's wrath? What do you do to earn God's wrath? What do the unrighteous and the ungodly, the words that Paul uses, do to earn God's wrath? Secondly, what did God do in response to the unrighteous and the ungodly? And then thirdly, what does God's wrath look like? What does, this, what does God's wrath look like? We're going to look at those three questions and we're even going to take a little side trip because there's an issue that we need to talk about for just a minute so that we're all on the same page and then we'll come back. So those three questions, a little side trip. First, what did the ungodly and unrighteous do to earn God's wrath? Paul told us in verse 19, for what can be known about them do it again, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's a thing called natural revelation. It is where we look around. It's, it's what we talked about last week. It's the world all around us. It's all the things in nature that God is very evident there. To give an illustration that I think ought to be pretty reasonable to all of us, we've had babies, we had a lot of babies born in the church recently. Let's consider Trip Washburn, Jace Edmondson, Nolan Wood, and all the other little babies that we've had, and look at them. I have not heard of one of y'all, not a single person in this church has walked up to them and said, I am so thankful that time plus matter plus chance brought us this little baby. I haven't heard a single one of you say that. Not a single person. If time plus matter plus chance is the way that it all works, why don't we still reproduce like single cell organisms do? When I went to school, they told us that we all came from a single cell organism, from the, uh, the uh, primordial ooze, that everything happened just right, and a single cell organism was, was created in all of this, and the way it divided, if I remember right, some of you guys that are still in school that are taking biology, help the old coot out here and help him understand, but I think what happened is that cell would st sort of start doing this thing and then it would pop apart and there'd be two of them. Trip Washburn, why didn't Bo just sit in a chair one day and all of a sudden start contorting a little bit and one arm and leg and then all of a sudden there was, and there was a little Bo and a big Bo. How come that didn't happen? Yeah, you laugh at that because it's ridiculous. It's silly because for what can be known about God is plain to them, God has shown it to them. When you see a baby and you look into a baby's eyes, we all thank God for the beauty of that child, for the complexity that it took to make that child. When you consider everything that it takes to make a baby, and the baby grows in its mother's womb for nine months, is delivered in an unbelievable fashion. I saw all three of my babies born. Let me help you understand something. If it was up to me for the race to continue and I had to deliver the child, we're extinct. I'm just telling you right now, it's over. I ain't doing what, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And then that little 20-inch baby, 21-inch baby, grows to be six feet tall, six foot five, sometimes even larger than that. And we say that it was millions of years of biology that just accidentally stumbled into all of that? No! For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And then he says, so they are the people that ignore it. They are without excuse. They are without excuse. So the question we have to answer is, what did the ungodly and the unrighteous specifically do to incur God's wrath? And I'll help you understand something. It had nothing to do with smoking, drinking, 
cussing, chewing, or dating girls that do. Had absolutely nothing to do with that. I remember when I was a kid, smoking was a big thing, and a preacher would stand in the pulpit, and he'd rail for 30 minutes about smoking is, is going to send you all to hell. You're not supposed to smoke. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is correct. But he goes on and on and on, and we spend all this time talking about not smoking and not drinking, and then we go to first, the first chapter of Romans, and we find out when God's talking about his wrath coming on the ungodly and the unrighteous, he doesn't say anything about those things. What he says instead is verse 21, for although they knew God, they didn't honor God. They didn't recognize him for who he was. For although they knew God, they didn't give thanks to God. All of the blessings that we have, the beautiful world that we have, no gratitude for him whatsoever. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, a lie is not a slip of a tongue, or it's not a little uh, uh, self-interest kind of thing where your spouse walks in and says, does this make my rear end look fat? And you look at it and go, good Lord, have mercy. How can a rear end be that big? And instead, what you say, that does not happen in my house. Do not look at my wife. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'll vote you out. We got conference coming up. But you say, oh, honey, that just makes you look so slim. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a lie. A lie is a deliberate, conscious falsehood. You look around yourself and you can see God in nature. You can see God in natural revelation. But instead of acknowledging that, you deliberately and consciously deny that's from God. God has nothing to do with it. There is no God. Even though you can look at it and know there's something that designed all of this, you go, there is nothing out there. Verse 25, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That means that they didn't hold God into the esteem that he deserved. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You hear all that? Do you hear anything in those verses about specific actions? When you say, well, Randy, a few minutes ago you read and I heard you talking about lying, adultery, gossip, and murder. Yeah, those things are in those verses. Those answer question number three. They don't answer question number one. Why did they deserve the wrath of God? We can wrap it up in one sentence. The ungodly and the unrighteous know that there's a God, but they either disregard God or they stand in open defiance of God. The most important thing about us is not what we do, because what we do is only a reflection of what we are. The most important thing about us is what we believe, what we hold in our hearts as true about God. If we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus died on a cross and, and God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day to save us from our sins and we believe it so strongly, we believe it so strongly that it makes a difference in our lives, then we're saved. But if we disregard the truth or worse, we openly defy God, then the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed, which brings us to question number two. What did God do in response to the ungodly and the righteous? What did God do in response to what the unrighteous and the ungodly did? Did he rain fire down from heaven? Is that what he did? Did he kill their husbands, their wives, their children? Did he take their money, make them destitute? Did he cover their body, bodies with sores? Did he make them homeless? Did he make their car break down on the side of the road on the way to camp last week? Verse 21 says, you know, before we do that right quick, I grew up in an era where 
it was preached and kind of taught that God's watching you. Got my eye on you, Tim. God's watching you, boy. You better fly straight, do the right thing. God's looking at you because God's going to get you if you don't. God's going to get you if you don't. And I always, you know, God's going to strike me with a thunderbolt or some lightning or something horrible is going to happen in my life. That's the way, that's the way I was raised. It, that's not what he's talking about. That's not his wrath. As they disregard God, they became futile in their thinking. The word thinking here, y'all are going to relate, a number of y'all are going to relate better to this maybe than some younger folks do because I don't know if they still do this or not, but back in my day when a little girl had a crush on a boy, a little boy, she might find a daisy somewhere and she'd hold the daisy in her hand and she'd start going, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Y'all, yeah, I see a couple of people smiling. Yeah, there you go. Remember that? Loves me, loves me not. That's what this word, that's the idea that this word has in it. Is that the man has got in his mind, the woman has got in his mind as they're contemplating God. There's a God, there's not a God. There's a God, there's not a God. There's a God, there's not a God. And what God does here, and what God does, what God does here, what God does And their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't darken their hearts. God did it. Randy, that don't seem fair. Take it up with him. Don't take it up with me. Would a good God do such things like that? I don't know. Scripture says right here that their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't darken their minds themselves, but in their refusal to acknowledge God, God removed his light from their lives. I don't know if I want to accept that or not. Well, then accept these next four words. These, I don't know how these four words will affect you. These four words are terrifying to me. I mean, really, that's not just preacher hyperbole. These four words, if they were used for me, would scare me to death because verse 24 says that God gave them up. That's the wrath of God. No thunderbolts from lightning, no fire rained down from heaven. God gave them up. God gave them up. No dead children, no wayward spouses, no broken down cars. God's wrath is the simple removal of his presence from people. Do you understand that? It means that God just walks away. That's what you want to do? Have at it. I'm not involved. I'm not going to put a hedge of protection around you, no matter how many times you pray it. I'm not going to give you traveling mercies, no matter how many times you pray it. I'm not going to bless your food. I'm not going to help you do anything. I am walking away. God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. When God removes his hand from someone, when God removes his hand from someone, their basest desires come out. That's easy enough to see. When I was a little boy, way back yonder, dinosaurs roamed the earth, and there was a program on television called I Dream of Genie. Y'all remember I Dream of Jeannie? Any of y'all remember I Dream of Jeannie? I had a little boy crush on Barbara Eden. I'm telling you right now. 
I'd have sold our house and my mom and my daddy if I could have met Barbara Eden. I'm telling you, she was the prettiest thing on the face of this earth. And you know that they would not let her show her belly button on TV? That was considered obscene. We removed God from everything. And now what do we show? My confession, I've said it to you once before. When I was a little boy, I couldn't wait for the Sears catalog to come out so I could look at the lingerie section. That was my pornography as a little boy. Girls in their underwear. Some of you guys can look self-righteous if you want to, but I know you did the same thing. You ain't kidding me at all. And now I turn on Game of Thrones and I get to see you with no clothes on at all. See, when God is removed, when God steps back, our basest, our, our, our most immoral appetites become displayed. John Stott, we're going to talk a lot about a lot about human sexual relationship. I should have done it in here. I didn't do it first session either. This is a PG uh, PG-13 sermon. So if you've got young children when you get home, you might have to discuss a few things. I've worked real hard to try to say everything exactly the best way I can say it, but the scripture deals with what the scripture deals with. So we have to suck it up, Buttercup. We got to do it. But but John Stott said, the history of the world confirms that idolatry tends to immorality. A false image of God leads to a false understanding of sex. The history of the world confirms that idolatry tends to immorality. A false image of God leads to a false understanding of sex. I know I've been beating the abortion drum. It's in the news. I want us to understand Certainly understand my position. If this isn't yours, understand my position. If you go back 3,000 years, there was a God called Molech. You can find him in the Bible. It was a false God. It was an idol. The God Molech that people worshipped, they sacrificed their children to Molech. And the way Molech was designed is when you can see pictures of Molech. He had his arms. They made his arms out in front of him like this. He was made out of metal. And the way they worshipped Molech is that they would build fires in the base of Molech and he was made out of metal and they would kindle those fires so that it would get just as hot as it possibly could and then they believed that in order to have their crops and to have rain and to have all the good things happen that they should take newborn babies and lay those babies in the arms of Molech and burn those children to death. Sounds like barbarians, doesn't it? You read about abortion? Whether reach into a mother's womb with tongs and pull a leg off and another leg off and an arm off and another arm off and crush its head and pull the rest of the body out and they have to reassemble it to make sure they got all the parts and don't leave anything inside the mother. Does that sound very sterile too? Well, Randy, a woman has a choice. Doggone it, she certainly does. Figure out who you're going to sleep with and who could be the father father of your child. That's your choice. But once you've done that and you're pregnant, now you've got a completely different problem. The choice is before. But because God's out of the picture, because that we are in idolatry now, sex has taken on a different idea. Sex is for pleasure. Sex isn't for procreation. Procreation comes first. It is biologically the way this thing's set up. It's fun so that we will do it so the species will continue. You understand? We are no different than the people 3,000 years ago. That ought to make you feel funny. 
What did God do in response to what the ungodly and the unrighteous did? The most four terrifying words come up again in verse 26. God gave them up. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. When God's light is removed, people begin to want to do things that degrade rather than enhance. Dishonorable is the opposite of glory. They don't want to glorify another person. They don't want to hold the other person in high esteem. They want to dishonor that person and they want to display that person in all of their nakedness. And if you go back through the Old Testament, you find out that to be disrobed in public in the Old Testament was the most disgraceful thing that a person could possibly do. God even says in Isaiah 47, he he gives judgment on Israel and he says, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one else. But that's archaic, isn't it? That's, that's, that's that's, That's old fashioned barbarism. The human body is beautiful and was made to be admired, wasn't it? So is that the purpose of pornography? To be able to admire and glorify the men and women that are making it? Does that mean that one day a mama that's involved in pornography can turn to her child and say, look how beautiful mommy is and look at the things that mommy did at work. And, and, And I know that's not daddy, but that's okay. Daddy's in here in this movie with this other woman. Is that the way this was designed? Is that what God had in mind for us? The scripture says that God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, four most terrifying words in the universe are used for a third time. God gave them up. Can you imagine God standing in front of you and saying, listen, I got anything to do with you anymore. I don't have anything to do with you. God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. It was no longer wrong to them. The light of God was removed. Their conscience was seared. So women marched down the street, dressed as their private parts, wearing hats that they called a slang name for that body part. You saw, you saw that on television, didn't you? President Trump, don't sit there and stare at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. President Trump was elected and the women had the women's march and they marched through the streets dressed that way. With signs, with some of the worst vulgarities, my daddy said that a woman didn't speak that way and now they talk just as coarsely as any man that's ever talked in the history of time. How did all that happen? How did that come into being? Was it because they hate President Trump? No, it's because God gave them up. Do you understand? See the scripture for what it is. God gave them up. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Don't you see it? It's as plain as the nose on our faces. Question number three, what does God's wrath look like? What will we see when God gives people up? What will it look like? Verse 22, they became fools. Verse 24, they dishonored their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27, men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion with one another. Now, here's the side issue that we have to explore. You may or may not agree with this, but you've got to think about it. You've at least got to think about it because it's in the scripture. This is obviously referring to homosexuality. 
There is no way in the world that these scriptures refer to anything else. It is plain. It refers to homosexuality. Now, we tend to dwell on that, on the homosexuality issue. We tend to do it in the church, especially us older guys. Times are different. In the, but the LGBTQ lobby has done a great job of bringing homosexuality out of the closet and bringing it into the mainstream. June is Gay Pride Month for the LGBTQ community. You can't watch a commercial anymore without seeing two dads with a baby. If you watch eHarmony uh, commercials and you see eHarmony and pay attention, you'll notice that there's one where a fairly good-looking guy is on there and all the pictures they show for him to choose from are good-looking guys. There's another commercial, I think it has to do with credit cards, where there are two women that are out on a date. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Only 4%, according to Barna, only 4% of the people, I think Barna or Gallup, I think it's Barna, only 4% of the people in the United States are gay. They expect that number to go up because the millennials right now are kind of in a rage where it's cool to be gay. So some of them are coming out as gay, but they're not sure that they're really gay or not, but it doesn't matter. They say it could go up to 10%, but right now it's 4 But a lobby has made sure that those 4% are normalized. That it's as normal to be homosexual in our culture as it is to be anything else. It's a choice like anything else. And then when it gets there, uh, Christians, and, and some of us older Christians in particular, get stuck on this homosexual issue. And we decry the, the sinfulness of homosexuality <laughs> to the exclusion of everything else. And that's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. I want to see that in just a minute, but I want us to deal with homosexuality very quickly. And I want to tell you how, I literally want to teach you how to deal with this issue as people say things to you and maybe even as you talk to people. Okay, first, when you're dealing with somebody and you're making a, 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 having a conversation about homosexuality, never refer to the Old Testament. Never refer to the Old Testament. Because, see, here's the deal. Yes, the Old Testament has a lot to say about homosexuality, but it also says that if your children are disobedient, stone them to death. Now, all of my children, at some point in their life, have deserved to be stoned to death, and I've never done it. Some of your children deserve to be stoned to death, and I'll help. But we probably aren't going to do that either. So let's leave the Old Testament out of it. Don't go there. Don't use Paul as an argument. Don't use Romans 1 is an argument because liberal theologians say that Paul is a misogynist, that he hates women, that he's got an issue with sex to start with, so don't deal with Paul. But the next argument, the final argument that you're going to get is the argument that says that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, and since God is love, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love, that whatever two people in love consent to do is good in God's eyes because they're in love and all love is from God because God is love. Now here's, here's where the argument doesn't work. Jesus did speak on homosexuality. He just didn't use the word. In fact, Jesus spoke on all sexuality. He just didn't use the word. Several places he did it, but the place I'm going to show you right quick is in Matthew 19. The, the Pharisees were trying to discredit Jesus in front of a crowd of people. They had divorce like we do now, so they used it to try to make Jesus say something that would be unpopular and he could 
he would alienate part of his following there. So in Matthew 19, 3 through 6, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And this is where we miss something important because they asked him about divorce, but Jesus said something else. Jesus said this in verse 4. He said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We don't have a lot of time to dig on this, so let me simplify it for us. Jesus puts them down in sort of a cool way. Jesus had a way of needling people without being obnoxious. And see, these Pharisees, they're supposed to know everything. They are, the, they are the, the legal scholars, the Bible scholars. They could quote scripture just like this all the time. They knew how everything was. And Jesus says, dude, have you not read the first book in the Bible? <laughs> did y'all miss that? In fact, did you miss the first three chapters of the first book of the Bible? Did y'all miss that? Because you need to go back and read it. Because see, here's what it says in the first three books of the Bible. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother... And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. How did God create people? He created them male and female. The man will leave his parents, will hold fast to his wife. They'll have physical intimacy, him with only her, her with only him, and that's God's design for sexuality, period. It's God's design. But then Jesus adds this, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Not only does this mean that God's not keen on divorce, it means that God's not keen on any sexual activity outside the marriage bed, period. Period. Any sexual activity, not just homosexuality. Any activity outside the marriage bed. I'm going to quote somebody that I hope it blows somebody's mind, Sam Alberry. Sam Alberry is an editor for the Gospel Coalition, written a few books. I've listened to him on a podcast. Sam Alberry, Sam Alberry is an evangelical pastor, and he is same-sex attracted. Evangelical pastor. Can he be that? He certainly can because he's celibate. And this is what he says. As far as Jesus is concerned, the only godly alternative to a man-woman marriage is to be single and celibate. That is to be sexually inactive. You're either married and having sex, or you ain't having sex. You either have sex with your wife or your husband, or you don't have sex. That's how God looks at it. That's his answer. Did he speak on homosexuality? You better bet he did. He spoke on homosexuality and premarital sex and pornography and anything outside a man-woman marriage. There's a group of Christians that call themselves the red-letter Christians that say that they only believe what Jesus said. Here he is. God designed humanity as a male, as male and female. They are to be in a monogamous, married, lifelong relationship or you're to be single and celibate. Period. That's hard teaching. That's what he says. So to finish the question three here, what does God's wrath look like? Well, homosexuality becomes an accepted lifestyle. But there's more, and that's why we can't get stuck there. Romans 1, 29 through 31 says, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, that's bad character. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, 
boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That came up again. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. The last four there, foolish, means that they don't have understanding. Faithless is faithless. Heartless means that they're unsociable. They just don't care about other people. And ruthless, it means they have no mercy. We want to dwell on homosexuality. You know why? Because all that other stuff points its finger at me. I've done those things. I've been that way. And so have you. So let's stick on homosexuality and crucify them so that we don't have to deal with the very things that God laid out here. Now, this is the most difficult message that I've ever been called to craft because I see God's wrath poured out all around us. It's on Fox News, it's on MSNBC, it's on CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, NPR. You pick somebody somewhere and what terrifies me What shakes me to my core is that I fear that some of us and some of you who watch us on DVD, some of us who watch us on YouTube, and some of us who hear us on the podcast are going to blow this off as just another right-wing, evangelical, Southern Baptist extremist pastor. And when you do that, understand that God has darkened your foolish heart. And he's given you up. And that ought to scare you to death. So what do we do? What do we do? First we pray that God have mercy and open their hearts. That's why you got a one. Pray for them. Broken hearted prayers with fervor, with passion, and with pain. Study and make sure, make sure people that you're not speaking drivel to people. When someone's child died, it's not because God needed an angel. That's not in the scripture. That's stupidity. Don't ever say it again. Don't study to show yourself approved so that when you're there, you can say the right thing. If you're going someplace to be in a debate or if you're just going to work and somebody lays out in front of you and says, well, you know, God's love and whatever two consenting people do, they can do because it's all right, because they're in love. Jesus never spoke on homosexual sexuality. And you go, let's talk for a second. And then you can talk intelligently to them. Study and be ready. And as we stand on the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, we need to believe it ourselves. Do you Believe. Can you see the evidence all around you that the wrath of God is being poured out on our society in America and all across Western culture right now? If you can't see it, pray for yourself. The scripture's obvious. Read it and watch the news tonight. Can you see why the world makes no sense to you? If you're a child of God, can you understand why the world makes no sense? Because God has darkened their hearts. Up has become down. Right has become wrong. Do you understand that saying God is love without realizing that love always leads people to the best path is foolishness? Got to see the obvious. God's written a blueprint. The world is following it. Don't go that way anymore. Don't go that way anymore. Jesus is standing at the door. He's knocking. He's calling your name. Open the door. Let him in. Let him change your life. Give you a new heart. Free you from your sins. Realize that the only path to eternal life 
went through a cross, was laid in a tomb, was raised on the third day, was ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit was poured out on us for our sins so that we can have eternal life right now. Eternal life does not wait on heaven and God's wrath does not wait on hell. Turn your life over to Jesus. Ask him to be your savior. Y'all pray with me. Father, please help us to see and help us to hear. Lord, your glory is what we're looking for. That's what we want. Oh, Father, I am really concerned that people walk away and go, well, he's just a Southern Baptist preacher. Lord, I know that I've got a friend that's a pastor posted on Facebook this morning that he and I would disagree so much on this topic. But your word is so plain. Please, Lord, open his eyes, open people's eyes. Father, convict us about our one so much that we have tears. Surprise us with tears. And save our one. And Father, this this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of someone here. And today would be the day they'd open up the door. In Jesus' name, amen.